open to Romans chapter number 1 this morning. Stay standing with me. Romans chapter number 1. Romans 1. You can sit down and get your Bible, but then stand right back up. All right? Romans chapter 1. And we're continuing uh, with our theme, Ready. And our, uh, the way we have this laid out is I'm giving you three areas where we need to be ready uh, at the beginning of the year. And then we're going to look at that in great detail through four sermon series. And so last week, we looked at the idea of being ready for the sun. We said the rapture is imminent. It's coming. And we believe that uh, the time of our Lord's return draws nigh. And we want to make sure that we're ready uh, when He comes. Today's sermon will complement last week's sermon. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Let's, uh, let's begin together in 14. We'll read every other verse together. So the church will read together 14 and 16, and then I'll read verse 15 alone. Verse 14, here we go. Ready? I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're going to look at verse 15. Paul says there, I am ready to preach the gospel. The title of the sermon is this, Ready to Preach the Gospel. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for a full house today. Lord, you have filled up our church building and done so over and over again. And we rejoice. We rejoice in what you're doing here through our church. I pray, God, this sermon this morning will convict the hearts of uh, Christians who are living in apathy. And Lord, help light uh, or rather grow a fire within the hearts of those here that, uh, Lord, uh, already have a burden for souls. And Lord God, as I preach a sermon that will be familiar to uh, those who attend this church regularly, I pray that you'd help us not to just dismiss, help the people here not to just dismiss the message, but Lord, to listen to the Word of God with their whole heart. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a church with a tender heart. I believe corporately that's the case. And Lord, I pray that we would not have a hard heart toward this topic. Lord God, be with us, meet with us this morning, please, in a very real way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, our, our theme verse this year is Luke chapter 1. If you would turn over to Luke 1, put a marker in Romans 1, and turn over to Luke chapter 1. Our theme verse this year is found in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and uh, it, it's about John the Baptist preparing a people, uh, making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, John the Baptist's mother and father were up in years and uh, had given up any hope of having a baby. Uh, Elizabeth was beyond menopause, and so her season of life to give a birth was over. And so um, uh, uh, his father was working in the temple. That was his duty. And one day, an angel visited the father of John the Baptist and told him, said, um, your, you and your wife are going to give birth. And that angel gave uh, John, uh, John the Baptist's father some instructions about uh, who his son would be. Look at Luke 1. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And he shall go before him uh, in the spirit and power of Elias, speaking of John, going before Jesus, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Read that last phrase with me. Ready? To make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. Why was it that John the Baptist was born? He was born for the purpose of going ahead of Jesus and making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Turn over to John chapter 1. You're in Luke 1. One book to the right there. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. We find John the Baptist now an adult man. He is no longer a little boy growing up or an adolescent finding his way. No, he is an adult man and he is living out the purpose for which he was given. And indeed, he is making ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Pharisees come to John the Baptist and say, Who are you? And John answers that question in verse number 23 of chapter 1. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And here's what he's crying. Make straight the way of the Lord. Let me say this morning that you may not be much this morning, but what you can be is a voice. You can be a voice that cries out and gives the truth. John said, what is it that I do? I preach the gospel. I preach the good news that the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, hath come into the world. Look down at verse 29. John 1, look down at verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What did John do? He preached the gospel to anyone and everyone who would listen. Now, fast forward from John the Baptist to 2024, the time in which we live. Here we sit at White Oak Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, January 21st, and uh, we are sitting in what is known as church. But what is a church? A church is a called out assembly of believers. A called out assembly of, say it with me, believers. You know what a believer is? A believer is someone who believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They've come to Jesus with their heart. Listen up. What is your heart? It is your mind. It is your will. And it is your emotions. It is saying to the Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I am bound for hell because of my sin. And I believe that Jesus, God's Son uh, uh, and God, died on the cross in my place and I put my full faith in You alone. I believe in You with my mind. I believe in You with my I will, and I believe in you with my emotions. And that's what it means to be a believer. Now, there are plenty of people that come to this church, and probably even some here today, that have not yet fully believed in Jesus for salvation. You are not part of the church. You say, how do I become part of the church? Well, it begins by giving your heart to Jesus for salvation, that is what we have in common. And by the way, when you pray to believe in Jesus, the Bible says you become a son of God or a child of God. So uh, gathered in this room today are those who have believed. That makes all of us have the same Heavenly Father. That means that I am now your brother in Christ or, my, or, or and you are my brother or sister in Christ. We are a family together in God, we are a church. We're a called out assembly of believers. If you're a member of this church, then you have been carefully vetted. We don't let just anybody into the membership of this church. 
Everyone who wants to join the church meets with me or uh, one of our pastoral staff or with one of our deacons, and we go through a very careful process of making sure those who join are indeed saved and have a salvation testimony. That does not mean everyone on the church membership is saved. In fact, there are people who can lie their way into our membership, but you at least had to give a salvation testimony that you are a child of God. Let me speak to those of you who are members of this church and those of you who are saved. If you're saved, give me your attention. I want to ask you a question. Why did God leave you here on earth after He saved you? Why didn't He just take you on up to heaven to be with Him? Now, now seriously, stop and think about this for a minute. Wouldn't it be easier to love God if you didn't have your sin nature in the way? How many of you here every day think to yourself, I would love God a lot more if my sin nature didn't keep coming up and taking over, right? Someone cut you off in traffic. You! You what, Pastor? I'm not telling you what I say. That's none of your business, all right? Your husband leaves the socks on the floor for the 10,000th time. And that flesh kicks in. Your wife leaves the, the, uh, the um, top off the toothpaste. Or worse, she uses all of her toothpaste and then leaves the top off of your toothpaste. You say, Pastor, is that a problem in your house? I can't say if it is or not. Amen? It might be, it might not be. And you get all worked up and upset. You get all worked up and upset. Pride takes over, Right? I mean, you read your Bible for a week, and then you don't read your Bible for a month. And then you read your Bible for a month, and you don't read your Bible for two months. And then you pray before you go to bed at night, and then you go a season where you don't feel like praying, so you don't do it. And, and back and forth with the flesh. Wouldn't it just have been a lot easier if you got saved and Jesus said, Why don't you just come on up here here, I'll give you your glorified body, I'll take that sin nature away from you, and you can worship me without any sin. Wouldn't it be easier to worship God if we didn't have to deal with pain and hurt? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if our knees didn't creak? If we didn't need surgeries? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we didn't get sick? Oh, there's people I care for very much right now who are dealing with ongoing sickness. Just hurting them. Hurting their health. uh, Hurting their spirit. uh, Hurting them deeply. Wouldn't it be easier to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength if it wasn't for the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world? Well, that begs the question, then why did God leave us here? The answer really is simple. God left you here after He saved you. So, here it is, that you would tell others how they too can be saved. That's your children and your grandchildren. That's the lady who scans your groceries at the grocery store. That's the guy who's stocking the shelves at the grocery store. That's the person in the gas station. That's your co-worker. That's your uncle, your aunt. Yes, even that uncle you can't stand. Amen? God left you here. Listen up now. Pay attention. All right, there's movement, everybody. All right, we'll be back up here. All right? Very good. We're glad people are coming to church today. Amen? We're glad they're here. God left you here to tell others about Jesus. So... I ask you this, are you doing it? Are you telling other people about the Lord? Turn over to Romans chapter 10. 
You see, God made John for the purpose of making people ready for the Lord. And God left you here for the purpose of making other people ready for the Lord. Look at Romans 10. Romans 10, 13, all right, uh, is a verse that all of us here who are regulars to church are at least familiar with. Many here even have this verse memorized, and uh, we, uh, we've heard it before. In fact, raise your hand if you're familiar with Romans 10, 13. All right, that's a good at least half, 60% of the crowd. Once I read it, more of you will be able to read your hand. All right, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say that with me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that is a very overly simplistic description of salvation. And the only reason why I say that is Romans 1, 1 up to Romans 10, 13. Lay out how to get to Romans 10, 13. Romans 10.13 brings us to that conclusion. But Romans 10.13 is the beginning of a larger thought. Look at verse 14. It goes on and says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Well, the answer is they can't. How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? We're going to talk about that word preacher when we get down to the end of the sermon. How shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So watch this, the natural progression. People can only be saved by believing, but people can't believe unless they have been persuaded to do so. People won't be persuaded to do so unless they've heard. People won't hear unless someone tells them. And people won't tell them unless they're sent to go do it. So what is the purpose of the church? Is the purpose of the church so that you can come here and, and dress up and look like other people around you and make friends and, you know, uh, do meal trains. And I'm not against any of these things. And, you know, maybe a couple of times go to a barbecue like the Memorial Day picnic or play volleyball in the summer and, 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 and have people that like your posts on Facebook and have people that... You know, heart your Instagram post. Is that the purpose of church? No, it's not. Now, all those things are great, and I'm not against them. What's the purpose of church? The purpose of church is to get you ready to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, listen up to me. I've shared this several years ago. Some of you were new since then, and all of us need this reminder. There are three philosophies of how churches are run. And I will compare them to, uh, to, uh, to ships in the water, okay? The first type of church out there we'll call the cruise ship church. The cruise ship church. How many here have ever been on a cruise? I'm so jealous of you. All the steak and lobster you can eat, right? Isn't it great? Okay, some of you, how many of you say, I love cruises? Raise your hand if you love cruises. How many here say, eh, I'll take a pass, not for me? Okay, good. I don't have an opinion, never taken one, all right? But you know what they have on cruises? A high-end cruise? They've got it all. They've got water slides for the kids. They've got uh, entertainment in the evening for the adults. They've got every type of food you can imagine. I mean, you wake up at 2 a.m. and order a filet mignon, and boom, it's served. I mean, they've got all the, the bells and whistles, and I mean, you stuff your face, and you, you, just, uh, you just entertain out to Wazoo. And a lot of churches are that way, you know. You go to them, and, and they're cruise ship church. I mean, they've got everything. They don't just have a coffee bar where you can get some coffee. They have a barista that makes you a latte. With whipped cream and caramel drizzle on top. Alright? They're a cruise ship church. 
You know what you do? You go in and they entertain you for a good hour, but no more than an hour because they want to respect your time. It's not the Lord's day, it's your day, and we worship you instead of expecting you to worship the Lord. We don't have a pulpit because that would mean we have to preach. No, we have a bar stool and our pastor sits there and, and really he's not pastor. He's just Gary. We call him Gary. And you know what Gary does? He gives about a 20 minute TED talk and somewhere he mixes half a Bible verse in. And we feel real good when we leave the cruise ship church. Sound like some churches on TV? Uh-huh. That's not God's model for church. But then there's the other extreme. And that's the battleship church. The battleship church is what most independent fundamental Baptist churches are known as. What is a battleship church? A battleship church is a church you go to and, uh, man, just, the pastor's just, he's mad about something. He's always mad about something and he takes his Bible and every time you come to church, whack, he just clubs you upside the head. And I mean, you walk out and your eye is, spiritual eye is blackened and you got a spiritual bloody nose and you walk out thinking, I am a loser of a Christian. Or you feel like, ah, my preacher, he preached against everything under the sun. I mean, he got on every topic I hate. He hit them all. Ah, I love my preacher. He's a warrior. That's the battleship church. And you know what battleship churches are? They're edgy and they attract edgy people. You know, that's not God's model either. It's not God's model for us to be a cruise ship. And it's not God's model for us to be a battleship. There's a third type of boat in the water that I believe we're to be, and that is an aircraft carrier. What is an aircraft carrier? You see, an aircraft carrier sits right outside of a war zone. It's never in a war zone, at least it ought not be. And uh, planes, fighter jets, they take off and they come in and they land. And, and you know what they do? They service the jets and they service the pilots. The pilots go into the mess hall and they get something to eat. And they lay down and get some sleep. And their, their jet gets fuel and uh, 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 restocked on ammunition. And you load that pilot up into that fighter jet and boom, off he takes off to fly into the war zone to fight the battle only to come back and return where he's restored, rejuvenated, and sent back out to do it again. The church ought to be an aircraft carrier. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we're good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to church on Sunday not to have the pastor club us over the head every time, although the sermon today is going to feel a little bit like that. I'm just warning you, okay? But it ought not be the general feel. It ought to be we go to church and we get restored and renewed and we're sent right back out there to go fight the good fight of the faith. That's what church is. Now, if you come to church and you love the music, man, Pastor Andrew, I tell you what, that guy can sing. And amen, he can sing. We're pleased to have him. Brother Daniel, man, he can tear up that piano. And boy, Brother Daniel can tear up that piano. He's a great pianist. And you know, our pastor's not very good looking, but he can preach a little bit. Amen? And uh, we, we love our preacher. You know, he's in an identity crisis with his look, but he's going to figure this thing out. Amen? And uh, we love our preacher, and then you go out of church on Sunday morning, and nothing in your life ever changes, and you don't make an impact in anyone's life, then this church isn't doing anything for you but being a cruise ship. You're not being an air, you're not, you're not being a, a, a you're not being an, a, someone who lands with the aircraft carrier and being serviced. We're to be sent forth to help a hurting world. 
I'll be gentle here because our sermons are live streamed and this individual may be watching our live stream this morning. I didn't see this person come in, but this week I did a return. We had extra flooring left over uh, putting in this flooring and we had some extra flooring that needed to be returned. And so I went down to the place we bought the flooring and it was my second time in the shop in two weeks. I was there ordering the flooring and then back here, back to return some of the leftover. The lady that helped me, um, I walked up to her cubicle. And she had um, a lot of things posted on her cubicle wall there. Things like, uh, let's see, it said things like, um, give people a piece of your mind. And um, tell people how you feel and be confident in who you are. And other things that would be inappropriate for me to repeat from this pulpit, all right? And um, I looked at her the first time I met her and I said, I take it everyone knows where they stand with you. And the person on the other side of the cubicle just died laughing. And she looked at me like, what? And I pointed at all of her signs and she said, yeah, I'm I'm going through some hardships in my life right now. I'm going through some relational hurt. And she said, this is just me venting. And I took some time and I talked with her that day. She wasn't very open with me, but I tried my best to encourage her. I told her I'd be praying for her. And, And then I went back to do the return this past week. And I got her to open up a little bit more. I got her to open up about the pain that she's experiencing in her day-to-day life. She started to cry. She's processing my return. Tears are running down her cheeks. I shared with her two or three Bible verses. I told her the Lord loved her. I asked her, I said, do you have community? She said, no, I, I used to go to church, but I don't feel like I fit there. I feel like I'm judged there. I said, well, I'll make a commitment to you. If you'll come to our church, our people will wrap you up in the love of God. She started crying even harder. She said, that's what I need. I think I'm going to come and visit your church. Her name isn't Carol, but for the sake of the story, we'll call her Carol. You know, there are Carols in this world that need you to be a bright light. There are carols in this world that don't need you to just blow past them. Oh, I did the return back to the church to get my work done. Oh, I, I paid the groceries and on my way home to put them in the, in the counter so I can head on to uh, the next thing. No, that person who's helping you with your groceries has a soul that needs Jesus. And they need you to be a bright light. They need you to preach the gospel. I believe that people around us everywhere are hurting and lost. Christian, you have the healing balm of the gospel message in your possession. And it is on me and you to be ready to preach or give or distribute the gospel to a world in need of Jesus. Raise your hand if you believe the world is broken today. You know what the answer is? It's Jesus Christ. We're going to look at three truths out of Romans 1. Get your bulletins out there. On the back side of that bulletin is an outline. Let's take notes as we go this morning. We're going to look at uh, at Romans chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at each one of us. Each one of us this morning, I want us to ask this question. Here's the question. In fact, write this question down at the top of your notes. Here's the question. Am I ready to preach the gospel? Write that down. Am I ready to preach the gospel? Am I, write that down, am I ready to preach the gospel? I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. Am I ready to preach the gospel? 
All right, number one, notice the perverseness of humanity. The perverseness of humanity. Look at Romans 1, look at verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. Everybody there? Romans chapter 1. Find your way over to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, three things here, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the third one is descriptive. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness, and that would be unbelief. We're going to look at those three this morning uh, under point one. Letter A, let's talk about the gospel. The gospel reveals human ungodliness. The gospel reveals human ungodliness. And you know what this world is? It is ungodly. It pushes away from any desire to have a real relationship with God. Look at verse 19. Because that which... Uh, which may be known of God is manifest in them. What's that mean? Listen to me. Every human being that's born, God puts in them, Romans 1.19 says, a desire to find God. Every one of them. It's manifest in them. We know this as a conscience. From the very time you were a small child and you told a lie or took something that didn't belong to you, there was something in your heart that pricked you and said, you ought not have done that. God put that in you because God is the giver of morality. Look back here at 19. It's manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world. There's the second way God makes Himself known to us is through His creation. Nobody stands and looks at a car and says, I wonder where the bomb went off in the metal factory that made this. Nobody does that. No one looks at a beautiful painting and says, I wonder where the bomb went off in the paint store that made this beautiful canvas. David said in Psalm, he said, the heavens declare. They scream. They holler. They preach. They declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth, puts on display His majesty. Where there's a creation, there is a Creator. God gives us a conscience. He gives us creation. Look here. The Bible says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly, clearly, obviously seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His, Here's how He did it. Even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are... Read those next two words with me. Without excuse. I want to address this idea that God makes some people for heaven and makes the rest of the people for hell. Uh, let me just say this this morning is that Romans 1 completely debunks that thought process. I believe in the elect. I believe in those who are called. There's no questioning that. That's in the Bible. But it's not a matter of did God elect you or choose you for heaven. It's a question of who chose who first. You see, before God elected you to go to heaven, He allowed your free will to make that choice. Now listen here. The Bible says people who go to hell will be there without Excuse. Now, let, let me just say this morning that you had no say in whether or not you would be brought into this world. That decision was made by your mom and dad and God. Your mom and dad came together in an act of matrimony and uh, God decided that at that time in that act that he would give life in the womb. And your life came about. You had no, listen up now, you had no say over whether or not you were born. None. You had no say over whether or not you had a sin nature. None. In fact, that was given to you by your great, great, great ancestor, Adam. We'll talk about him more in a moment. 
Adam chose to sin, Eve chose to sin, and all these generations removed, you were born with a desire to sin. We call that original sin. You were born with a desire to do wrong. So watch this. You had no choice in being born. You had no choice in being a sinner. And if God, if you believe that God selects some people from heaven and sends the rest to hell, then you believe that you had no way to get into heaven. So let me get this right. Someone is falling through the flames of hell. They had no choice over being born. They had no choice over being a sinner. They had no choice to get to heaven. And they're without excuse? I don't think so. Nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. People go to hell because they reject their conscience and they reject creation. And I'm going to prove that to you with more Scripture this morning. Look back at verse Romans 1. Look back at verse 21. Notice the willful choice made to reject God. Because that when they knew God. How did they know God? Through conscience and creation. Look back at 19 and 20. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They willfully chose not to give God glory. Neither were thankful, but rather, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. What happened? God reached out to them, and they rejected God's hand. Can I tell you that that's natural to do? That's natural to do. Adam and Eve committed the first ungodly act, the first rejection of God, when they chose to disobey God, slap away uh, relationship and oneness with Him. God told Adam and Eve that He would send a child that would one day crush the head of the deceiving serpent, the devil. Jesus is God, re-extending His hand to humanity to heal and restore that broken relationship. Now, those, turn over to John uh, 3 in your Bibles. Uh, I'm sorry. No, that's later in the sermon. We'll get to that in a moment. Hang, hang, hold your place. Those who reject God and His Son, are, are, what they're doing is they're walking in willful ungodliness. No one is made by God to go to hell. No one. Romans 1 makes it clear that this outcome comes out of human sinful will to reject God. You know what humanity is largely today done? They've rejected God. It, it hurts me to hear somebody take God's name in vain. Expressions like, oh my God. You know what? I say those three words reverent, reverentially. Oh my God, I need you. But to just throw his... Why don't you throw your mother's name around like that? What if your coworker started using your mother's name the way that you use the name of Jesus Christ? Or your coworkers use Jesus Christ? You think you might tell them to shut up? But you let them do that to your Savior? You know why people do that? Because of a human ungodliness, a pushing away from God. But the gospel not only reveals human ungodliness, the gospel reveals, letter B, human unrighteousness. Human unrighteousness. Look at verse 18 with me. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and 
unrighteousness of men. Now turn over to Romans 3. Uh, ungodliness is a defiant, rebellion, a rebellious attitude against God. Unrighteousness is a broken relationship with both God and man. It's not only rejecting God, it's choosing to harm our fellow man. The first sin committed in the garden was against God. The next sin recorded in Scripture was Cain killing Abel. This was not just ungodliness. This was unrighteousness. This was sin against man. Look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none righteous. You think you're going to heaven because you're a good person? Uh, Paul is very clear here. No one is righteous. And then righteousness or unrighteousness, rather, is described for us in verses 13 through 18. Look there. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they have used deceit the poison of asps is under their lips look at the sin against your fellow man here whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness who were we cursing who were we bitter toward their feet are swift to shed blood or commit murder destruction and misery are in their ways and the and the way of peace have they not known there is no fear of god before their eyes. There's a lot of folks here today, uh, or rather there's a lot of folks in our world today, not only are they ungodly, rejecting God, they're unrighteous, they hurt their fellow man. Letter A, we see the perverseness of humanity. Letter A, the unrighteous, uh, the gospel reveals human unri- ungodliness. Letter B, human unrighteousness. Uh, Letter C, we see human unbelief. Human unbelief. Look back with me at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They hold the truth. Now watch this. They have the truth. They've been given the truth, but they willfully choose to hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now go over to John 3. John chapter 3. It isn't that they don't have the truth. They choose to hold this truth in unrighteousness. In fact, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3, 5. He says they are willingly ignorant. You know what that means? That means they make a choice of their own free will. They're willingly ignorant. They know the truth. They just reject the truth. They're willingly ignorant. The truth is made known to them through both conscious and creation, yet they choose to hold that truth in unrighteousness. I don't believe Genesis' account. I don't believe that God made the heaven and the earth. I reject that outright. I worship science. I don't worship God. And I don't believe, I don't believe that there's a moral law. Listen, YOLO, you only live once and do what you want to do and let every man define that which is right in their own eyes. And they make a free will choice in unbelief. Look at John 3. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. God does not condemn anyone to hell. John 3, 17 makes it abundantly clear. God did not come down here. God did not send Jesus down here to condemn a single person. He came down here rather that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that, notice the free will choice here. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So uh, those who go to hell do so because they choose not to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why? Why, why, did, why would people reject Jesus? Look at 19. And this is the condemnation. Here's the reason. Here's the curse. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world 
Men loved darkness, the free will choice to love darkness, rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They love their evil deeds so much, they don't want to open their eyes to the light. They want to stay shut down in darkness. This is the perverseness of humanity. Eight billion people walking this earth. Jesus said, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Hell, many there be that go in thereat. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. Few there be that find it of the eight billion people walking this planet today. So few of them have believed in Jesus because of their darkness and their love for darkness. They willfully choose to not believe in Jesus. They reject. We see the perverseness of humanity. Number two, notice the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 in your Bible in verse number 16. Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Read that next phrase with me. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Say that again. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to talk to you about the power of the gospel this morning. We have a lot of movement in the auditorium. I ask that you leave if you have an emergency or have a disruption around you. But if you can, please hold your places through the rest of the sermon. Letter A, notice it's supremacy. It's supremacy. The world during Paul's day was dominated by three belief systems. The Greeks had their logic. The Romans had their law. And the Hebrews had their Torah and its light. Paul knew that the gospel was far more powerful than any of these. Today, our world is ruled by a trinity of false doctrine. You can see it everywhere if you look for it. What is the false teachings of our world today? I can sum them up. Romans 1 sums them up for us. Here they are. Secularism. That's worshiping of the world's systems. Humanism. That's the worshiping of one's own autonomy. Environmentalism. That's the worshiping of the planet. Can I say this morning that the gospel is far more powerful than all three of those? Look with me at Romans 1.21. We see secularism. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. Look at the rest of the verse. But became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. They became vain in their imaginations. John tells us in 1 John 2, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Listen, um, when, God, uh, when John says, love not the world, he doesn't mean don't love the people of the world. What he's saying is don't love the systems of the world. You know, I, I'm amazed at how many Christians are in love with just those things that promote wickedness. I see, uh, I see Christians who are in love with music that promotes ungodly and wickedness. I mean, defiance against God. I see Christians who are in love with movie stars or the latest show to come out on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And listen, I'm not saying everything on Netflix or Amazon Prime is sinful to watch. But most of it is. 
Most of it is. My TV life has gotten very boring. I watch two things on TV, news and sports. And I don't watch a lot of news. And I sometimes get tired of sports. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm excited, though. My Ravens won last night. All right? So I'm not bored with it right now. Can I say this this morning that many of us here are guilty of secularism. We don't want to go to church because we're in love with the world. We don't want to go to church because we're busy making money and filling our life up with things. You know, I, I had, a, I had a, uh, an epiphany one day. I went out, I think it was when the iPhone 10 came out. I went out and I was so excited. I think I had like a 6S or something and... And I thought, I have to, I mean the 10, it's this new design. I, I, I have to have the 10. I have to have it. I just have to have it. Reading all the articles and watching YouTube videos on it and drool coming out of my, I have to have this phone. And I went and uh, scrounged a bunch of money together and I bought the iPhone 10. Oh, I was so happy to have it. I remember walking out of the mall with that in my hand, feeling like a million bucks. I felt like a million bucks even though I had no bucks after I paid for it. <laughs> I felt like a million bucks. I felt like I had what I've been. I played with that thing for a day, two days, a week, and then you know what I realized is that the joy of having that iPhone, it was gone, and then it was just another thing, and I was right back to feeling just as miserable before or after as I was before. Things can't make you happy, but the world pushes things. My sister came off the mission field from Fiji. And was here, and she's here right now. And I, I was talking to her about three days after she got back. And she said, I cannot believe how many ads are on YouTube in the United States. They're all over the place. You know why? Because Americans are secular. And they spend their money on things. Secularism. Look at verse 22. The gospel is greater than secularism. The gospel is greater than humanism. Look at verse 22. Read it with me. Ready? Professing themselves to be wise... All right, now everybody participate. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Oh, man. What is humanism? It's the worshiping of oneself. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I don't need the Bible to tell me what to do. I know God put pastors in the Bible, and I know that they're uh, to be a, a shepherd and a guide over my life, but I don't need a shepherd. I'll do what I want. I'll make my own decisions. I'm my own boss. I'll I tell you what, uh, the pastor's good at giving advice, but at the end of the day, I call the shots in my life. And uh, humanism is the worshiping of oneself. If you were to say, Pastor Lejeune, what is the number one sin that you fight at White Oak Baptist Church among Amongst its members. The answer is a loud and strong humanism. You say, can Christians be humanists? Absolutely they can. Oh, yes, they can. I will follow this part of the Bible because it is convenient for my life. But these verses over here, I don't like so much, but we're, we're just going to pretend those don't exist. Humanism. Humanism. I am amazed at how many people are led and guided by their emotions. Well, I don't feel like I don't feel like going to work today. Well, any wonder you got fired? I don't feel like I I I I don't feel like uh, doing my taxes. By the way, April fifteenth is coming. Amen. Pay your taxes and be honest on your taxes. Can I get an amen right there? Be honest. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Oh, the government, they're corrupt. Uh, no problem with me taking some back. Yes, there is. Be honest. Pay your taxes. All right. 
two wrongs don't make a... Okay, all right. How many had your mom tell you that growing up? Two wrongs don't make a right. Amen. Some of you, I can tell your mom didn't tell you that growing up, all right? Okay. I'm just picking on you. You can laugh a little bit. Some of you haven't smiled once a whole sermon. Keep trying, Pastor. Keep trying. All right. Humanism. We live in a world where people go to church when they feel like it. They give to the church when they feel like it. Or give to the Lord through the church when they feel like it. They pray when they feel like it. We need to get back to, you are my God and I worship you. Too many Christians today, they want God to worship them instead of them worshiping God. Humanism. The gospel is greater than humanism. How about verse 23, environmentalism? Look at Romans 1.23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Look down at 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. All men. Uh, they chose to worship the creation. Listen, uh, right now in Davos, Switzerland, there is this World Economic Forum going on and these rich elitist people say wild and crazy things every year they meet they want you to own nothing and be happy about it they're 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 crazy people and that john Kerry gets up there and you know what john Kerry says the environment is coming to an end and your uh you and your carbon footprint while he flies all over the world in his private jet hypocrite hey hypocrites don't just go to church right now listen i'm i I'm not someone who thinks we should trash um, our planet. I, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. We looked at that verse last week, Psalm 24, 1. I, I think we need to be good stewards of the, of, the, of the world. Don't litter. That's not being a good steward when you chuck your McDonald's bag out the window. All right? Just not. Don't litter. Okay? I think if you cut down a tree, probably would be a good idea to plant one to replace it. Amen? It's a good idea. I think we probably ought to do those kind of things. But we're not to worship the planet. We're to worship the Lord. And we're to use the planet for our pleasure and goodness. We live in a world where secularism, humanism, and environmentalism are everywhere. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sit idly by. And I'm not going to think that the gospel isn't more powerful than all of those combined. I've seen people steeped in humanism give their life to Jesus. I've seen people steeped in secularism give their life to Jesus. I've seen people steeped in environmentalism and they've given their heart to Jesus. And you know what? The gospel and the power of the gospel has changed their lives. Letter A, it's supremacy. Letter B, it's sufficiency. Look back with me at verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. The power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and the Greek. I want you to clear your laps of any Bibles or items that I want you to get ready this morning. And I want you uh, to stand when I read off a descriptor of how you got saved. Okay, If you're saved this morning, by the time I got done with this, you should be standing up. The only people sitting down when I got done should be the people who are not saved. All right, The Gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ is powerful beyond what words can begin to express. The gospel has taken drunkards and drug addicts and given them 
freedom. The gospel has taken broken marriage and restored them and healed their homes. The gospel has taken people living in depression and hopelessness and given them purpose and hope. As I read a descriptor of you, stand up for me. The gospel has changed the trajectory of family trees. Uh, the gospel this morning uh, has given those living uh, lost in a false religion and purpose understanding to God's Word. The gospel has taken the broken by sin and pain and given them life and peace and joy. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it breaks the chains of darkness. It sets the captives free. It gives hope and eternal life to each and every person who gives their faith to it. The gospel is sufficient for the rich. The gospel is sufficient for the poor. The gospel is sufficient no matter the language that you speak. The gospel is sufficient no matter what country, the country where you were born. The gospel is sufficient no matter the color of your skin. The gospel is for those who label themselves as good. The gospel is sufficient for those who see themselves as sinful and wicked. The gospel is sufficient for those who uh, have come from a cleaned up traditional family. The gospel is sufficient for those who were born out of wedlock or grew up as an orphan, no matter the problems in your life, no matter the pain in your heart, no matter the darkness of your soul, no matter the regrets that cloud your mind. The gospel is sufficient. Amen? It's enough. It's the answer to the world's problems. You can be seated. You can be seated. The gospel is sufficient. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Letter C. We not only see its supremacy and its sufficiency, we see letter C, its simplicity. Look back at verse 14. For I, I am a debtor, Paul says, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The Greeks were educated people. The barbarians were closer to cavemen. Closer to cavemen. Listen up now. Whether you are educated... Or you're simple and ignorant. Whether you have a high IQ. If we could get some help over here, I'd appreciate that. That'd be great. Thank you. Listen up this morning. Whether you're educated or didn't even finish high school. Whether you know how to write a a doctorate thesis or couldn't put two sentences together on a piece of paper. The gospel's for you. It's for you. I believe that people who have a high IQ and are educated are at a disadvantage because they begin to worship themselves, their own intellect. They need to be able to reason away God. Can I tell you this morning, you cannot reason away God. You cannot, God is infinite, we are finite. Listen now, you cannot wrap a finite brain around an infinite God. You can't do it. You can't do it. And a lot of people think that because they can't see or understand God, they'll never believe in Him. And I'd go back to that humanism. You're just worshiping yourself. And God is greater than us. Luke 18, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not. For if such is the kingdom of God, He continues in verse 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child... 
in no wise enter therein. You know how old I was when I got saved? I was four years old. Four years old. I met with uh, Miss Cheryl Oberg this, this week and talked to her about some things. And she told me she got saved and she was four years old. You don't have to be some grown-up, educated adult to comprehend the gospel. You can be a small child with a heart full of faith that says, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me on the cross. I believe in you and you alone to save my soul. You can have Jesus. You must simply come down like a child and give your faith to the Lord. It's that simple. It just is. I've had people who were educated look at me and say, it just seems too easy. It can't be that easy. And my friend, it's that easy. I'm going to challenge you this morning. Look at number three. The preparation of the Christian. We looked at the perverseness of humanity. And we talked for a little bit of the power of the gospel. Let's talk about the preparation of the Christian. I'm going to really step on some toes this morning. Not an intent to be mean but to push you to do your part. Letter A. Verses 14, 15, and 16, Paul gives us three I am statements about himself, three descriptors of himself. From that we get letter A. Let's look at our burden. Our burden. Look at verse 14. Look at the first three words there. He says, I am debtor. See it there? I am debtor. Both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. I am debtor. Let me, let me give you a parallel example. Do I have your attention this morning? Say amen if I have your attention. Amen. Imagine that you got diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer that had no cure. In fact, there were only a few thousand people on the entire planet that had this cancer. You went on Facebook and you found a group on Facebook of other people who had this cancer. In fact, the only way into, the, into this group is if you had cancer or were the direct relative of someone who did. And in this Facebook group, you uh, went in there and, you know, you talked about world-renowned doctors that you all had tried to see and you gave tips of how to make some of the, the uh, side effects subside and you had, you had done things to try to, you know, encourage one another in this Facebook group. It was an active group and you were active in it, but the doctors had told you you only had a few months maybe left to live and... On an off chance, you took a referral and went to see a lesser known, lesser renowned doctor. And that doctor had been doing cancer research study, research study of his own for years. And lo and behold, that doctor cures you of cancer. You are the first person diagnosed with this form of cancer to ever be cured. You've been given a new lease on life. You had months, maybe a year to live, and now... The cancer is gone. And there was a medical way that it happened. What would your next step be? I can tell you what it should be. To take out your phone, open up Facebook, right? Go to that group and say, guess what? I found the doctor and he cured me. Here's his name. Here's his phone number. Go see him. How many of you think that that would be a natural thing to do? Can I just say this right now? If, if you wouldn't do that, you are one horrible person. 
Well, I'm afraid of what they might think about me. Are you serious? Well, I'm afraid of rejection. You think they're going to reject you? You found the cure to their cancer. They're holding on. They're grasping on to life. They're looking for any and every possible solution. You would be indebted to tell that group about how to find the cure. Christian, you've had cancer. It was called sin. Except it wasn't eroding away your body. It was eroding away your soul. And it wasn't going to bring you to physical death. It was going to take you to hell. And one day, someone came to you and showed you the gospel. And you gave your heart to Jesus. And you got saved. How selfish is it? What kind of person are you to not open up your lips and tell people who are headed to hell? I'm going to make a statement here that's bold and pointed. Most of us don't tell people the gospel, and it isn't because we don't know how. It's because we really don't care. We don't care that people are dying and going to hell. We don't, we don't, we don't. Let me say this right now. If it meant something to you, you would figure out how to do it. But the truth is, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. I wonder how many carols God has brought across your path in the last month and you were completely oblivious to it. And they were hurting and you didn't take the time to even notice because you're busy. What are you busy doing? Seriously, making money? Because that's going to matter in eternity, isn't it? Getting your car cleaned. Oh, because you know what? That car, you're going to drive it all through heaven, aren't you? Aren't you? You're going to take it with you when you die, aren't you? You're busy complaining because they didn't fill your drink up at the restaurant fast enough. It got below a quarter, Pastor. They should have been there filling it up. And you blew your testimony, and you better not leave a track with my name on it if you do that. Listen, the world is hurting. They're dying. They're going to hell. And it's on us to proclaim the healing balm of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. But we don't do so because we don't have a burden. How deep was Paul's burden? Look at Romans chapter 9. Look at verse number 1. Romans 9. You're Romans 1. Turn over just a handful of pages. Romans 9. Look at verse number 1. Paul says here, For sake of time, I'll start reading. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish, this is a wild statement. Paul says, I could wish that myself were accursed. He's saying here, I would wish myself to be condemned in eternity in hell. Accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to flesh. He said, I look at my brethren who were headed to hell, and I look at me who has my salvation secure, and I wish I could trade places if it meant that all my brethren could go to heaven. I would go to hell so that they could be saved. We have a dear sister sitting in the room this morning, and and I don't want to embarrass her, so I won't use her name. 
She's taking our soul winning class this time around. Our soul winning class is where we train people how to give the gospel. When this event happened, she'd only been to one class. She hadn't even totally been trained formally on how to lead a soul to Christ. She's sitting in the mall parking lot. And a homeless lady knocks on her window. That homeless lady knocked on her window and said, "Um, you have any money? And she said, I really don't. But I can share with you the love of Jesus. She said, if you want to get in my car, I'm getting ready to get some lunch. I'll take you where I'm going. I'll buy you some lunch and we can talk. The lady got in her car. Now, this sister in our church, she's not been formally showed how to walk someone through the gospel. But she knew that lady needed Jesus and she knew she had Jesus. So they went, they sat, they got some food and she took her Bible. She did the best she could to tell her about the Lord. And that lady bowed her head and gave her heart to Jesus to be saved. You know what she didn't have? She didn't have training. But you know what she did have? She had a burden. She said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Letter A, our burden. Letter B, we see our boldness. Our boldness. Paul said, I'm a debtor. Verse 15, look at verse 15, Romans 1. So as much as in me is, I am ready. There's that word ready. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The word ready means prepared. It means that you're willing. Many people lack boldness because they aren't sure what they would even say to someone. Those who take the time to meditate on the gospel or study the truth of salvation, they're capable of articulating the truth. Now, in my experience, people refuse to share the gospel out of one of three fears. The fear of man, the fear of rejection, or the fear of death. I don't think we have to worry about number three in the U.S. of A. There are places in this world, if you share the gospel, they will kill you. But take those first two, fear of man and fear of rejection. You know, Paul did not let any of these fears stand between him and his burden to preach the gospel. One commentary I looked at laid it out this way. He said, in Jerusalem, Paul was mobbed. In Athens, he was mocked. And in Rome, he was martyred. But that didn't matter. He had a burden and he had boldness. When I was an assistant pastor in Maryland, I had a lady come to my class where I taught people how to give the gospel. Her name was Rose. I had known Rose for two years, um, but I had never gotten one word out of her. She was the introvert of introverts. I mean, she'd walk by you with her head down. You'd say hello, and she'd just do this. And she wasn't going to talk to you, all right? And I was just who she was. She was married. I don't know how she got married. But she was married. And so every Wednesday I teach this class, we'd go 12 weeks, take a break, we'd sign people up and do it again. So it was week one of 12, and I'm, I'm teaching my class, and, and Rose and her husband, I believe his name was Paul, they come walking in the back of my class, and I didn't say anything outwardly, but inwardly I'm like, I can't believe she's here. Like, this is a class training you how to give the gospel. She doesn't say hello to anybody, and she's sitting in my class. 
So as you would expect, she sat in the back in the corner and didn't talk to a soul the whole class. I asked, you know, for class participation. Nope, she wasn't doing it. The class ended. Everybody left except for Rose and her husband. They stayed behind. I walked back there and I thought, finally, I think she might talk to me. Rose is looking down at the table and she said to me, she said, they called me Pastor Richard in that ministry. She said, Pastor Richard. I said, hello, Rose. She said, I'm taking this class because I know in my heart I have a responsibility to give other people the gospel. She said, but I can't ever see myself talking to a stranger. While she was talking, I was praying, Lord, give me wisdom on what to say. And I believe what I said next to her came from the Lord. I said, Rose, do you work a job? Now, I don't know anything about her. So I'm just poking here. She said, yes. I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a cashier at the grocery store. I said, Rose, were you nervous when you got hired there? She said, uh, well, I, I didn't sleep the night before. I was so nervous I couldn't sleep. I, the idea of, of, of having to engage with people as I'm checking out groceries, I, I, I couldn't sleep. I said, well, well, are you nervous now? She said, oh, well, no, I'm not nervous now. And I said, well, well can I tell you why you're not nervous? She said, please. I said, you had training. There's two reasons. Number one, you've been trained, so you now know how to do it. So that takes that away. And number two, your need for money is greater than your fear. So you overcame it. I said, Rose, for you to be a good soul winner, number one, you need training. And number two, you need to love souls more than you're afraid. Why is it that you don't regularly share the gospel? Or share it enough? Is it because you're afraid? Or is it just because you don't love souls enough? I'm going to give you a test here. You ready? Here's the test. I'm almost done. We're going to start a campaign at our church. For every tract, gospel tract, that you distribute over the next seven days, we will give you a $100 bill. For every person that you genuinely lead to Christ over the next month, we'll give you $1,000. Oh. I knew that church was rich. We're not doing that. But if we did... How many more tracks would go out our door? If we did, we'd have the Soul Winners Club in our church auditorium because I wouldn't have enough people to train. We wouldn't have enough room to train everybody. Can you just be honest with yourself for a moment this morning? You love money and comfort more than you love souls. That's why you don't tell people about Jesus. I am a wholehearted believer that the gospel is more powerful than any other force in, on this planet. It isn't that the gospel doesn't work. It's that we won't work the gospel. We lack boldness because we don't love souls enough.
letter C. Our belief. Look at verse 16. Verse 14, Paul said, I'm a debtor. Verse 15, Paul said, I'm ready. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I won't read the passage because of the lateness of the hour. 1 Corinthians 1, 21-25, Paul tells us that to the unbeliever, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness, but to those of us that believe, it is the power of God. What is preaching? Preaching is the vocal proclamation of truth. Uh, Some people think preaching is what I'm doing right now. And this is a form of preaching. Because I'm vocally proclaiming truth. But did you know that you don't have to go to college to be a preacher? And did you know that you don't have to be a good public speaker to be a preacher? And did you know that you don't have to yell and scream and holler or raise your voice or or fluctuate, fluctuate your voice to be a preacher? You can simply whisper the truth and you are a preacher. Men and women alike can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll only do it if we believe it. You talk about what's important to you. Some of you in here love diets. You talk about diets. Some of you here love being, uh, let's see, what is it, dairy-free. You love talking about dairy-free and gluten-free and, and, and food-free. Anyway, uh, you, you love talking about that stuff. Others of you in here, you love sports or politics. You talk about what's important to you. You persuade others of those things of which you're passionate If you deeply believe the gospel and you love others, then you will not be ashamed to share it. Are you ready to preach the gospel? If not, what do you need to do to get ready? Do you need the training or do you need God to put that burden in your heart? Look back at that question I had you write down at the top of your paper. Look back at it. Am I ready to preach the gospel? Will you be honest with yourself this morning? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We have a powerful word. But its power is mute if we don't open our mouths. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day in my life I gave my heart to Jesus. If I die today, I am certain I'm going to heaven. Here's my hand. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I know I'm going to heaven. I know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I've put my faith in Christ alone. You can put your hands down. I want to say thank you to those of you that didn't raise your hand. I respect your honesty. I'm going to ask a second question and see if you have the courage to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't single you out or point you out. In fact, I ask for the congregation to bow their head and close their eyes so that you can have some privacy. But if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, I sure would like to pray for you. I'm not going to pressure you to come forward. I'm not going to pressure you into an uncomfortable situation. But I do want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you say, if I were to die today, I do not know where I'd spend eternity. Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I promise not to call any attention to you. Raise your hand. Hold them up right against me. I see a hand. Anybody else? I just don't know. I appreciate your courage. Anybody else? I'm just not certain. If you raise your hand after the service this morning, I hope you'll hang around. I would love to sit with, me, with you for just a few minutes and show you how you can get that resolved. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray that God will give me a greater burden for the lost? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Pray that God would give me a greater burden for the lost. To those of you that raise your hand, I want to say thank you 
Some of you may have raised your hand in your heart. I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you have no desire to raise your hand, that's a problem. You are that selfish cancer patient healed who won't, who won't go back into the group and tell others. You're content to keep it to yourself and let everybody else die. And to that, I just want to say shame on you. Pastor, are you pouring on the guilt? I am. I sure am. Some of you this morning, your prayer needs to be pray that God breaks up my apathy. How many of you say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't care for the lost. Pray that God helps me to begin to care. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I really don't care about the lost. Pray that God gives me apathy. Or pray that God gives me a burden. 